Good morning. There I am. Y'all were panicky. You should have seen the panic on your face. We're not going to be able to hear him. My whole life is ruined. It was so clear and evident, so I appreciate that. It made me feel good about what's going to happen the next 25 minutes to an hour. So, We're going to talk about Jesus, our brother, today. What a great song, God, our mother. I love it. Um, here's the deal. Um, we say God, our mother. We say God, our father. We say God. Um, all are equally correct and all are equally wrong. God is not a gendered reality. We live in that world. So um, we, it's hard for us if you grew up maybe in a tradition like I did where everything was masculine pronouns for God. Sometimes it's hard to ascribe feminine pronouns to God or even gender neutral pronouns to God. But God is spirit. And uh, we talked about that actually a couple of weeks ago that is a divine presence, a reality of love. And so uh, I just encourage you to use whichever pronouns make the most sense to you kind of funny. I feel that way about life in general. So there you go. Um, but we're going to talk about Jesus today. There's a lot of ideas floating around about Jesus. I should be able to cover all of them in the next 25 minutes. Not going to be a problem. Uh, we just did a five-week series called Explaining Jesus, Experiencing Christ. So this might be a little redundant if you were here for that. A few, I think it was last Easter, well, not this last Easter, but two Easter's ago, we launched a series called Mistaken Identity, which was about like five or six weeks about different identities and personas that Jesus has taken on throughout Christian history. And you're welcome to explore both of those. Um, but over the next few moments, I really want to kind of give a high level idea, talk about Jesus from a fresh perspective, because that's really what this series is. We're looking at a fresh perspective, rediscovering a faith that we can love. Uh, many in our world, millions of people in our world, some are in this room, um, have come to a space in their faith journey where maybe the things that we were handed, that we were told we had to believe, the way we had to think and see the world just no longer worked for us, and we are in that process of shedding that skin. And so what does that mean to still hold to the preciousness of Scripture, uh, the Christian tradition, the gathering together, um, the Bible, God, these things? But how can we think about these? And we're calling this a fresh perspective, but the reality is we're really not talking about anything new. <laughs> we're talking about stuff that's actually quite old and part, part of the Christian tradition, but really hasn't been part of maybe the Western evangelical tradition that some of us have been a part of or have um, kind of moved forward from. Some, some might use different language, you know, but whatever we are in our evolving faith, that's what we want to talk about. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the environment that I grew up in when it comes to Jesus. Now, the tradition, the, the Christian tradition that I kind of come from is a tradition that's grounded in a paradigm. And this paradigm came out of the modern world, a modern world not meaning like modern like yesterday, but just modern way of thinking, uh, post-enlightenment, industrial revolution. It was pretty um, exclusivistic in its understanding of Jesus and Christianity, and it took things very literally. So that's kind of the heritage and the interpretation of Jesus that I was handed, right? I call this fundamentalist heritage Christianity. That's not a, meant to be any way, shape, or form pejorative. There's a lot of people uh, that are a part of that stream of Christian heritage to this day, and it works for them. They are becoming more loving, wonderful, gracious, kind, compassionate uh, people. But for many people, uh, some of the language and the metaphors and the ways of thinking just, they don't work. They just have fallen apart under the weight of certain scrutiny, right? 
And part for me was I grew up in this environment and this tradition where at a very, very young age, I was invited to invite Jesus into my heart at a very, very young age. I was about five years old, um, and I have vivid memories of kneeling down and saying this prayer and turning from my wicked, evil ways, of not sharing my toys, of whatever that might be. Um, and that was a formative memory. I don't have many memories of being five years old, but I have a memory of that one. And I, and I have this like, heritage of Jesus, very literal things that I'm supposed to believe. There was the idea of Jesus as God. That was what was really emphasized in the tradition, the divinity of Jesus. Rarely did we ever kind of experience or think about or talk about Jesus as a human being. It was really this emphasis on uh, the divinity of Jesus. And honestly, as I thought about it and as I grew older and as I look at tradition, it was almost somewhat heretical, the, ne- the negligence of the humanity of Jesus. Because in the earliest earliest communities and the earliest creeds that kind of came about in the earliest kind of writings against what would be called heresies, which is a problematic term in and of itself, was really this belief that you can't separate Jesus from his humanity, right? You can't go and just say he was God. You can't go just say he was human. There's this balance of both. And my environment that I grew up in, like I said, was pretty literal. It demanded a literal acceptance of things about Jesus and about the Bible. A metaphor was never really talked about. Historical language, not, not a whole lot, but it was just about this idea of Jesus as God who ultimately was the solution to the problem of my sin. Like Jesus was actually a solution to the problem of my sin, and it was really God's problem with my sin because I didn't seem to have a big problem with it. I'm in so much trouble. (laughs) Like, breathe, Ryan. Breathe, breathe. Be careful the jokes you say. They're not funny to some people. Okay, so, (laughs) but like that was, that was, Jesus was presented as a solution to that problem, right? He was the Savior of the world, right? And He was saved me from my sins, but ultimately was really this idea that God was going to damn me to hell forever and ever and ever if I didn't invite Jesus into my heart and then if I didn't follow that. So if I didn't accept Jesus into my heart, I would die and go to hell, and it would be my fault. My fault. Problem's not God. God's perfect. The issue is I'm not, and I deserve this because of my rebellion. You deserve this because that was kind of the heritage that I grew up in. So the purpose of Jesus was to die for my sins, and anyone who didn't accept it, sayonara. See you later. And belief in the literal events of his life was tied into this, right? So it really wasn't just enough to invite Jesus into my heart and then have an experience with Jesus. It was also tied into all these other things that I needed to believe to find that way of salvation from a very punitive God, right? And this is kind of what has overtaken the the religious imagination of Western evangelicalism and fundamentalism that comes out of this. And, and inside of it, like, what happens is the mediators, right, the mediators of that relationship, the mediators of my understanding of Jesus, the mediators of God, then became church leaders who would then interpret Jesus for me and tell me, this is what I'm supposed to believe, this is what I have to hold to, this is what it's all about, right? And so for millions of people, right, for millions of people, this modern, literal, exclusivistic way of thinking about and interpreting Jesus is no longer persuasive. Our world has become smaller, and the things that we were told about other peoples and other religions and how, they're, how bad they were and how evil they were, we start to realize when we start to study them and look at other cultures, we're like, oh, wow, we're kind of saying the same thing. 
Maybe using different words, but we're really pointing to same things and, and big ideas that have become known in certain circles as the perennial tradition. Like there are these things that we've held to that the great religions that have endured throughout the world, we hold on to them and we call them differently and there are nuances and there are definitely differences, but it's amazing the similarities of revelation that has come about. And not only have they become non-persuasive, but these ways of thinking and seeing and holding up literal exclusive understandings, they've actually become a barrier to faith because our world has become small. And we've got neighbors who look different than us and believe different than us. And, and that was never an issue for many, many, many years. And so it was pretty easy to do the othering, right? It was pretty easy to just say, well, those people that look like this, that dress like this, that worship like this, well, they're the other and they're bad and they're evil. But now we've recognized, well, these are people who are filled with love and you can see the fruits of the Spirit, what we call the fruits of the Spirit growing in their life. And it just doesn't make sense to us. And so it becomes a barrier to the Christian faith, Right? and is actually incompatible with the fundamental idea that God is love. So we need a fresh perspective, many of us. Many of us who are saying, I can't throw away Jesus. Jesus is my mechanism for understanding God. Jesus is the way in which I encounter and live in this thing that is far bigger than I could ever understand, and there's something beautiful about the person of Jesus and my experience with that person of Jesus. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about just a few things that a fresh perspective affirms about Jesus. Lest we think that a fresh perspective is the denial of the existence of Jesus, the importance of Jesus, or anything like that, what is it that we affirm when we talk about a fresh perspective of Jesus that is different than or emerging, not in opposition to, but in response to a way of thinking about Jesus that many are evolving out of? And guess what? At some point, this perspective on Jesus is going to need to evolve. This, somebody's going to stand up here someday and say, oh my gosh, I grew up in this environment that talked about Jesus like this, and it was so true. Like, it's going to happen because our world is shifting and changing and shaping and cultures and everything. So I don't doubt for a second that this is that what many of us are finding and holding and how we're valuing Jesus and talking about Jesus is going to necessarily need to change. And we've talked about that throughout the series. All right, so here we go. Fresh perspective on Jesus affirms, first and foremost, that Jesus is central to Christian faith, right? So we said there are three kind of cognitive ascents to this idea of faith, and that is one, God is real. Two, uh, Jesus is central to the Christian faith, and then scripture, the Bible is central. Now, how we think about those things, how we talk about them, all shifts and changes, but as soon as you kind of evacuate one of those three like premises, you probably moved into something other than the Christian tradition. That's not bad, that's not wrong, it just is, okay? So to, to remain and to continue to experience God within the Christian tradition is to say Jesus is central. All ways of being Christian, and there are hundreds of ways of being this word Christian, which is problematic in and of itself, but they all affirm the centrality of Jesus as part of their faith. We are people of the person. Now, you might have heard that we are people of the book, but that's not accurate. That was ascribed, in, and we can talk about where that came from, but the truth is followers of Jesus who became known as Christians are people of the person. Jesus is the central idea figure to the faith that we call Christianity. Jesus, and I'm going to shock the pants off some of you, is more central and more important than the Bible. When the Bible and Jesus disagree, and they disagree, Jesus wins. 
That's what it means to be a Christian, right? That's, what we're, that's part of the fresh perspective is that fundamentally we say what we see in Jesus is God, and so Jesus trumps the Bible. Even like when there's something that you go, that doesn't feel like Jesus. You go, okay, there's something else happening here. Doesn't mean it's useless. Doesn't mean it's not inspired. Doesn't mean we can't gain wisdom from it. We just recognize something's happening here in this text because it's not reflective of Jesus. So in the Christian tradition, for many of us who walk this peacemaking path, what we call the peacemaking path of Jesus around here, we see Jesus is the revelation of God in person. And this is very unique to Christianity, right? The, the three religions that kind of share the same faith, that we point to the same idea of God, have the same heritage, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, also known as the desert religions, this makes Christianity quite unique because Judaism and Islam don't find their revelation in a person. So the revelation of God is not found in Moses or in Muhammad, but is in writings. So it's in the Torah or it's found uh, in the Muslim writings, right? That's the idea. Now, so, so it's very unique when Christianity says, no, our revelation of God is actually found not in words, but in Jesus, right? The word made flesh. So that's, that's not to say that it's better, okay? I'm not saying Christianity is better than these things. I'm saying it's just what makes it unique. There's other reasons that make these faiths unique to Christianity. But one thing that's very unique about Christianity is we're people of the person, right? Now, what that ultimately means is that this fresh perspective says that when you look at Jesus, you see, we see in faith what a life full of God looks like. That when we look at the person of Jesus, the historical Jesus, the Jesus of faith, and those are two different concepts, and we talked about that for six weeks, so I'm not going to bore you with all that again. It's on demand in your app. I know. It's, right? We're saying when you look at Jesus for the Christian, you see this is what a life full of God looks like. This is what I live towards. This is what I model. John 14, 7, this idea was very early on in Christian tradition. John 14, 7, in, in John, Jesus says, if you know me, then you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this is most likely John speaking in the voice of the community, teaching the community about Jesus, that Jesus is the one in which we look at and we see the Father, right? This is what Jesus had become, and it's powerful, and that is still held to deeply by a fresh perspective. Secondly, a fresh perspective honors and embraces and takes the humanity of Jesus seriously. Now, this is something that for me that has been wildly important in my faith, because the Jesus that I was handed as this divine person whose divinity overwhelmed his humanity, who could walk around and kind of know everything and walk on water and, and nothing, like, I don't trust that Jesus. Like, I don't trust a Jesus that didn't have to, like, walk through some of the stuff I've walked through. I don't trust a Jesus that could just look at somebody and know everything about him and know exactly how to say it. I don't trust a Jesus that didn't have to navigate the complexity of saying something and it being misunderstood and having to go, oh, wait a second, I'm sorry. And I know that's really hard for some of us to imagine that Jesus actually had to say he was sorry. But if it's true that Jesus was fully human and had the full human experience, then I can't imagine how he didn't at some points in times have to say he was sorry. That doesn't mean he was a sinner. That doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means that he had a human experience. Like he was misunderstood. And, and when good hearts would come and say, what do you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. 
Like, I trust that Jesus. I trust the Jesus that had to grow and learn. That Jesus that we see in the text that says he grew in wisdom and stature. Like, that's a Jesus I trust who navigated the complexities of life and had his two-step forward moments and his one-step backward moments. Like, I trust a Jesus that started down one path with John the Baptist and went, wait a second, this doesn't seem like God to me. And he changed and shifted and went down a different path in understanding of God. I trust that Jesus. And so a fresh perspective emphasizes this. Hey, listen, anytime we emphasize, overemphasize the divinity of Jesus at the expense of his humanity, we're going to miss both the Jesus before Easter and the Jesus after Easter. And we're going to miss this extraordinary human being that walked around loving people when it was really, really, really hard. Like that's one thing about when we overemphasize the divinity of Jesus, we miss that, that the way Jesus loved is possible for us as well because we're humans and Jesus was human. And so Jesus as a human being who walked around on this earth, he was a mystic. Like the historical Jesus was a spirit person. He believed that what was really real was the spirit and he engaged with that. He spent hours in prayer, having experiences with God. He grew in that experience. Right? He understood that God, the Spirit, was ultimately compassionate and merciful. That was what he taught. Jesus, the historical Jesus, was a healer. Most scholars, whether it's mainline or whether it's conservative, whatever it might be, would believe that Jesus healed. Like there's enough record and there's enough history. And, and, we, and we know that other people healed as well. That's not something unique to Jesus. But Jesus was a healer that attracted a crowd to him. He was a social prophet. He was deeply concerned with God's justice, deeply concerned with the way his society, his people were treating one another. And so he spoke out against that. He was a wisdom teacher. He often, he would go and teach in numerous ways an alternative path, right? He would teach an alternative path to the exclusion and the exploitation that was taking place by his religion and by Rome right? That was part of it. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, we have Jesus, and he gives this kind of idea of the narrow and broad way that exists out there. And Jesus would teach this in different formats and use different analogies and metaphors, but he would say, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And those who enter through it are many. Now, let's pause and ask this question. Would you agree or disagree that in our lives there are many who make a choice in their own personal lives and as communities and as nations, and it leads to destruction? Okay. I just want to make sure we see that as true. But then Jesus goes and he says, but there's a narrow gate. And it's restricted, and that road leads to life, and those who find it are few. And would you say anecdotally in your life, the people that you meet that embrace an inclusive, loving, radical, forgiving way of being and governing are a little fewer to find? Okay, now this verse has been twisted to talk about some eternal ramification of narrow is the way that leads to like heaven and broad is the way that leads to hell. But the historical Jesus wasn't talking about that. He's talking about there's a way of life that leads to death. And, and so he, he was a big proponent of that in his wisdom teaching. And then finally, Jesus was a movement maker. He was a movement initiator. He initiated a nonviolent kingdom of God movement where he was concerned with what the rule of God would look like and how it would be different than what was happening with Rome and with his religion. So here's your next fill-in that's really long and big. I'm sorry. It just is what it is. But a fresh perspective on Jesus understands 
that Jesus was killed because of his passionate vision for the kingdom of God, which included a radical critique of the conventional wisdom of religion and Rome. I'm going to say that one more time. Now, we unpacked this a lot during our series on experiencing, uh, explaining Jesus experiencing Christ. But what this is basically saying is that it's important to recognize that the historical Jesus was crucified, was murdered by Rome because of his passionate vision for God's rule on earth. And part of that passionate vision was a radical critique of Rome and his religion. And this kingdom of God path, this way of being, this alternative path, was marked by inclusion and mercy, justice, the idea that everyone had access and should have access to enough, forgiveness, love of enemy, the proximity of God, that God is freely given and freely received, that the temple and sacrifice, that these things are not mandated requirements in order to engage with God. They can be useful and helpful tools and spiritual habits. But Jesus was kind of democratizing God in a way, saying that God is the very air that we breathe present with us, all around us. And this message gathered a following. Why? Because there were a lot of people a lot of people who were being excluded by Rome and religion, and we talked a lot about that. It was nonviolent, so it was a way to come in and enter and say, how do I protest what's happening without producing violence or producing more victims? See, if Jesus were just a mystic, if he were just a wisdom teacher, if he were just a, a person going around kind of teaching a Broadway, all that was happening. It was his politics that got him crucified. And his politics was a passion for God's justice in this world, right here, right now. In Mark chapter 15, which is probably our earliest gospel, right? Mark says that it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified Jesus. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews, the king of the Jews. And when they crucified, and when they crucified him, they crucified him with two revolutionaries, one on his right and one on his left. So we can see like Jesus was crucified historically. Why was he crucified? Because of his activist mentality, what he believed was wrong, his passion about it, and it was a threat to the powers that be. Now, what happens then, like any of us, when we encounter death, oftentimes it's traumatic. And when you encounter a traumatic death, it's even more traumatic. And so the death of Jesus traumatized the early followers and they needed contextualized interpretations of his death. So they began asking the question, why, why, <laughs> why, what does it all mean? Why did Jesus die? Have y'all ever asked that question in the face of a tragedy? Why? Anybody? Raise your hand, raise your hand. You ever said why? Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to them? What does it all mean? Where is God? Those are the, all the same questions that the earliest followers of Jesus would have been asking. And so what emerged over a long process was an interpretation of the cross and of Jesus that would assign him some beautiful language, but probably things that Jesus never called himself while he walked around this earth, historians think. And so here's the deal. Next week, we're going to explore the big idea of sin within the Christian tradition and different ways that the cross has been interpreted in relationship to sin and the big answer to why? Why did Jesus die on a cross? What was that all about? And so we're going to talk about a fresh perspective on those things and explore that a little bit. The, the big fancy word for this is atonement theory. The key word is theory, believe it or not, not atonement. 
And so how did the earliest followers of Jesus and how did the Christian community as it evolved for the next 2,000 years answer the question, what does it mean to say there's power in the cross? And who was Jesus? But for now, it's enough to say that a fresh perspective doesn't believe, it just doesn't hold that the purpose of Jesus' life was to die. Now, Jesus ended up dying for the purpose of his life, which was to show the way of God's kingdom. But there's a difference between saying his death was a result of that passion and to say that his, the purpose of his death was to die for that. And so historically, he was killed because the way that he presented that alternative vision was in opposition to the domination system of the world. And we see that today even still. We see that in people's lives who are martyred, who have been killed, who have been assassinated because they presented a way that was not accepted by the dominant power system. Martin Luther King, great example. The purpose of Martin Luther King's life was not to die, but was to present the problem with segregation, the problem with the way we saw race, and that produced his death, right? And in a way, it was a sacrifice. But Jesus, I don't think, the historical Jesus who walked around on this earth woke up every morning going, well, I got 27 years left and then it's all over because the point of my life is to die. I just don't think that was the case. I think Jesus was a smart guy and he knew that his teaching was going to be dangerous. That I think is very evident. And so fresh perspective doesn't embrace that there's not purpose and meaning in his death, but says there's more to Jesus than dying. And if we only embrace that divine concept of dying for sins, we miss the beauty of his teaching, his life, and what he was actually calling his followers to do. Then finally, a fresh perspective holds to and lives and treasures an experience with the living Christ. The living Christ. You see, the earliest followers of Jesus, they continued to experience Jesus after his death as a living reality. We call this the resurrection. And it wasn't that they experienced the memory of Jesus. They really experienced him. And we can talk about that experience and what that was like and what that body was like and whether they were visions or whether you could touch. But, you know, the stories are him walking through doors. So we know his body was a little different than ours. If you all have ever tried to walk through a door, not exactly easy to do, okay? But the followers of Jesus all throughout, like the earliest followers and even to this day, continued to experience Jesus as a living reality. There was Mary Magdalene who experienced Jesus at the tomb. The disciples experienced Jesus over and over again. In the Gospel of John, Jesus appears to his disciples twice, once with Thomas and once without Thomas. Two disciples walk along in this road to Emmaus story that's beautiful that Jesus appeared to and then disappeared. The Apostle Paul encountered Jesus on his way to persecute Christians, and in that encounter with this living reality, his life was changed, his whole belief system was changed. Paul says at one point in time, 500 people encountered Jesus, 500 people at one time. And so this post-Easter Jesus is what we have in the Gospels, right? The Gospels were all written after Easter. They're probably, they're all come to us probably after the destruction of the temple when there's great question around how does our faith continue to exist as Jews when there's no temple. And so the Gospels give us a beautiful picture of what Jesus had become to the communities that would gather in his name. And in that picture, we find hope because they would experience Jesus and they would come to know Jesus as what? The Word of God, as the Son of God, as the bread of life, as the light of the world, as the Lamb of God, 
as the Lord and Savior of the world. And those are all beautiful things, and there are beautiful things that we continue to experience as Christians, Jesus, as that for us. But remember, a fresh perspective embraces historical, metaphorical language, so it doesn't get caught up, right, in trying to understand the factuality of those mysterious, metaphorical words, because God is a divine mystery. God is a, is, is a mystery that's revealed most often through metaphor. That's the way we describe it, and that's the language of death and resurrection that we have. Paul said in his letter to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. He, it's a weird thing to be writing if he's been crucified. <laughs> He wasn't actually crucified with Christ. He wasn't one of the, one of the you know, revolutionaries next to Jesus. <laughs> that wasn't Paul. He says, yet I live, no longer I, but Christ lives in me. Insofar as I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who has loved me and given himself up for me. This language, is, this verse, this text, Paul's writing is filled with beautiful metaphors that helped his audience understand the power of Jesus that he no longer lived according to his vision for the world, but the vision of Jesus for the world, and that that vision was animating him, and that Jesus was God's chosen path for that. When he says son of God, every Jewish person would recognize David was called son of God. We in our modern mind like have to turn this into, like we make it so much more complicated than really I think what it is. Paul's saying, no, like this is God's chosen way. This is revealed. And so I live in him and I, I give myself to him because he gave himself up for me. And so this living Christ that Paul was experienced, that we still experience today in faith can guide us along the path of justice and mercy and inclusion. And it calls us not only to individual transformation and individual hope and individual self-care and individual just understanding of God, that produces so much joy, but it also invites us and, and guides us into community revitalization, into community transformation, into comforting a community and guiding a community with compassion. And so the primary question that we even bring to Jesus is what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to say that Jesus is these things? We call these, what does it all mean? And that's the beauty of the historical, metaphorical, fresh perspective on even the person of Jesus. We lose Jesus when we get caught up on, did he actually say this? Did he it's fun to ask the question, and I love it. But we have the story of Jesus. We have Jesus because there's a deep meaning for us in that Jesus. So don't miss this. In all the words that I've said, which have been far too many, don't miss this. Jesus is the metaphor of God who invites us to follow him on the narrow way of justice, mercy, inclusion, and sacrifice every day. And I hate to break the news to everybody, but that's a little harder than saying a prayer and getting to go to heaven. To do that, to do those fill-ins, that'll change the world. And I hate to say it, but history has taught me that individual, personal prayers that invite Jesus into our hearts so that I don't have to go to hell I get to go to heaven, does not change the world. And I don't believe the message of Jesus is anything but a radical way to change and heal and save the world. Is it personal? Absolutely. Absolutely. But as Christians, we recognize that it goes beyond that. And so this fresh perspective, isn't Jesus isn't just a metaphor. Jesus is the metaphor of God. 
He was a real person, undoubtedly. History tells us that. But as a metaphor, his life and his teaching, his death, his resurrection reveal what God is like. We see God through Jesus. Jesus is our great sacrament. And so we pray to Jesus and we worship Jesus. And we do all those things because Jesus becomes this embodiment of what is so difficult for us to conceptualize, that gets lost in the philosophizing, that gets lost in the theory, that now I have this tangible person, right? But there's a danger in that because the danger begins when we start to worship Jesus, we can easily stop following him. In fact, the best way to not follow Jesus is to worship him. But Jesus never invited anybody to come and worship him. He said, come and follow me. Take up your cross every day. Because Jesus knew that the only way God gets anything done in this world is by people opening their heart up to love and inclusion and mercy and grace and radical forgiveness and open table fellowship. That's the only way. Like God is always, that presence of divine love always needs a conduit to move through. And so in his life and in his death, we see the passion of God. We see the passion of God on display. Marcus Borg in his book, The Heart of Christianity, this kind of offered a great guide for us in this. He writes this. He says, it's this figure, Jesus, who is also for us as Christians, the word of God, the son of God, the wisdom of God, the light of the world, now at the right hand of God, one with God and the second person of the Trinity. He was in his historical life, the character and passion of God incarnate. And then he writes this. He said, as a metaphor of God, he is the heart of of God made flesh. That's good. The heart of God made flesh. And this heart of God made flesh invites us to follow him on the narrow way, a way of death and resurrection, a way of living, knowing that you are forgiven and you always have been forgiven, knowing that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing has ever separated you from the love of God. It's a lie. It's a myth. Jesus comes to dispel the myth and enters into our systems and our ways of thinking about God and, and utterly throws them to the ground so that we can get to the truth that you are whole, that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you are part of one that is whole. And, we don't, and all the things that we think we need because we're not whole, Jesus says, let me just take care of all that for you. And that's beautiful. So in your everyday normal life, how do we live this out? Well, it's the first rule of our rule of life here at Crossroads Church, the peacemaking way. Daily choose Jesus. So we wake up every morning and we say, today I choose to walk in the narrow path of justice, mercy, inclusion, and sacrifice. Today I choose to walk in the narrow path of justice, mercy, inclusion, and sacrifice. Be my guide, God. That's what I do. That's what I'm following. So as a parent, I choose inclusion. I choose mercy. I choose sacrifice. As an intimate partner, I choose inclusion, I choose mercy, I choose sacrifice, I choose forgiveness. As a sibling, maybe we'll move on from that one. As a coworker, as an employer. And if we'll do that every day, if enough people will just be like yeast in the bread and choose that every day, you know what happens? All of a sudden, our faith in humanity, what? Grows. Our belief in the potential for humanity grows. And we start stop saying things like, well, I'm only human. Because what Jesus did was show us not what it's like to be God, but what it's like to be human. 
And that'll change the world. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for today. God, thank you that you are user-friendly, that, that so many of our traditions, of our religious pathways, invite us to think of the really real in God and you in personal terms and have a personal experience. And this morning, I stand here grateful for the person of Jesus and the faith to believe that in Jesus, I see God. I see God incarnate. I see what it's like to live a life filled with God. And so help us to see that. Help us to honor that. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a minute, we're going to get you out of here. Uh, if you pull out your Connect card in your program, you can finish filling out that card. There's some next steps. or We, we talk about it. It's like, what's God inviting you into today? You might want to take those. You can also get out your offering envelope. We're going to receive that in just a moment. If you're at a table, you can put your offering envelope, your Connect card in the baskets. In just a second, our room hosts will be by with some buckets or baskets for those of you that are in rows. And help them out. Just walk it across the aisle here. But here's some next step as you're finished and filling out your Connect card, getting those giving envelopes ready. Come back next week to explore a fresh perspective on the interpretations of the cross and the death of Jesus. That's going to be an interesting one. It should only take 10 or 15 minutes, all right? I want to encourage you to join a conversation group if this is kind of resonating with you and you have questions, you want to talk about your experiences. We have conversation groups, one that happens here on Thursday night that I help coordinate and I'm at, and we do that on Thursdays at 6.30. There's one that happens Monday during the lunch hour via Zoom and, and it happens asynchronistically, <laughs> meaning you can like log in and answer questions and do it on your time and there's some other spaces. But. And I would encourage you, if you're really interested in exploring more about the difference between pre-Easter Jesus, post-Easter Jesus, or the historical Jesus and the Christ of faith, uh, you can listen to the series that we did here a few weeks back called Explaining Jesus, Experiencing Christ, and you can get the, listen to that on the app or at crossroadscolorado.com, all right? Well, I want to invite our room hosts to come, and they're going to receive our offering while they're doing that. Don't forget a couple of things that are happening, all right? Right after the service, there's cake to celebrate all this, like these children that have been dedicated. So grab some cake. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Grab a piece of cake. Cake always makes you feel better, uh, no matter what's going on in the world. So um, grab a piece of cake. Out in the atrium, there's also a uh, photo booth, a family photo booth. So no matter what your family looks like, no matter what your family is celebrating today, use that photo booth. Get a picture, post it out there, share it. That'd be fun. I think we have somebody who's helping as well. Uh, and don't miss out on that. And don't forget also, you can pass those baskets down. Don't forget also that it's Partners in Hope time with our gala. And we would love for everybody to come out. So buy a ticket for yourself, buy a ticket for the people in your household, and then buy a couple extra tickets and invite some friends to come and participate in this beautiful space. All right? Beautiful space of sharing peace throughout the world. All right? Lots and lots of fun stuff happening. How many of you have the app and you've downloaded the app? Raise your hand up nice and high if you've got that around. You're the cool ones. Uh, if you've downloaded the app, you don't have to give today. Um, you have to give tomorrow because you can give every day of the week on the app. So nice try. I appreciate that. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone for your generosity, um, not just with volunteering, but also with your financial generosity that's so important in the life of our church. Many of you have been tracking along with our project with the Loveland Housing Authority that is still on track, and we should be closing on June 2nd, I believe, uh, on, in that partnership with the land, which is going to eliminate 100% of our debt. And so that is a wonderful thing for our church. Yeah. So keep giving of yourself, your time, talent, and treasure, and we'll keep 
hopefully creating a great space for every person. All right, so stand on up with me this morning. Um, if the baskets haven't received, gone by you, you'll grab it here in a second. But every week we end with a blessing. I want to give you a blessing as you head out into your everyday normal peacemaking life today, which starts with cake and a photo. I understand that. But uh, if you'd like to, you can raise your hand with me to just as a symbol to receive this blessing. All right. So today, if your image of Jesus has neglected the beauty of His humanity, may you find hope in exploring a fresh perspective on Jesus. May you have eyes to see the strength, wisdom, and compassion of the historical Jesus. And if your image of Jesus has neglected the possibility of experiencing Him as the living Christ, may you have ears to hear the Spirit of Christ speaking compassion and kindness into your heart in this moment. And may all of us find courage to walk the narrow path of inclusion and justice, mercy and sacrifice in our everyday normal lives, trusting that this peacemaking way can bring healing and restoration to our world. Amen. Have an awesome week, everyone.